0: Three days of brand new adventure. So let's embark on this journey together.
1: City News 570 presents Kitchener Today.
2: Bonjour. Hola. Guten Tag. Salaamu alaikum. Nihau. Namaste. Sasriakaal. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. This is Kitchener today and I'm your guest host today, Fazia Mazhar. Never in my wildest dream I pictured myself hosting a live radio show and here I am today. So, so, so unbelievable. Well, I remember becoming a listener to 570 News as a newcomer. It was my way to improve my English pronunciation and enunciation. But soon I found myself hooked. The next thing I remember is just calling in the talk shows. Most of the time because I wanted to challenge the views presented. And well, now I understand that tables have turned. And I just hope that karma does not apply here. Just karma, please not today. So enough of me now. Let's talk about what's being lined up for you here today. While we just celebrated or observed whatever you prefer to use with International Women's Day. So we just celebrated or observed International Women's Day this week. Today, we will hear from some fierce women leaders who have been fighting the fight for gender justice relentlessly in our region and our first first guests are none other than Elizabeth Clark CEO of YW Kitchener Waterloo Elizabeth is also a regional counselor two terms regional counselor we also have Jennifer Gordon who is the director of advocacy at YW and in that role in that portfolio she also looks after the feminist shift Welcome, Elizabeth and Jennifer.
1: Hi, Fazia. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here.
3: On You're your welcome.
2: TV. You're welcome. So I will start with the obvious question. How did you celebrate or observe International Women's Day?
1: Well, I'll, I'll go first, Jen, and, and then you can jump in. Um, at the YW, we did, you know, some sort of small scale stuff internally, uh, you know, Remarking on the day to staff and and things of that sort. But I suppose the the main thing that we did was we chose to host, uh, to hold day one of the Women's Municipal Campaign School during uh, during the week. And um, that school, I know you're very familiar with it, Fazia, because you presented for us at it. And I also attended
2: Um, in the past.
1: And you've attended in the past um the it's a it's actually a community initiative with community volunteers but the yw hosts it, and we're of course involved in the organizing and um that's the uh, school that's goal is to get uh, an equal number of women into municipal elected office this year though uh we've we've sort of focused more uh more narrowly on getting women from diverse backgrounds of different of different kinds. So that was our first day. Uh, our second day is coming up on April 30th, but it was very successful and I think um, quite an important event for our community.
2: Wonderful. We'll hear from Melissa Dural and Colin James directly in the show later on as well. It's a good introduction to them, for them. Jennifer, anything to add? Uh, yeah, I have... Uh... Um, I have my own sort of little artisan
0: store, Gen Meta Feminist. And so on days like International Women's Day or when there's a women's march or when a politician puts his foot in his mouth and everybody gets upset, (laughs) um, I tend to have a lot of sales. So I worked a little bit on some of those so that people could get some of their feminist swag out there. But um, I have a rebellious... Uh, Routine that I do um, on all of these sort of days that bring a broader and wider attention to gender Mm -hmm. uh, justice issues. uh, I rest. Um, I find a lot of the time I feel like I'm holding the torch 24 7, 365. That's what I signed up for. That's what I'm passionate about. But when everybody else is paying attention, it almost feels like you have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to be able to sit back and allow those voices to spend the day um, pushing it. So uh, I usually have some sort of ritual. I go for a walk, or this time I went for a drive and then I set a new goal for myself um, and so this year I kind of want to focus in a little bit more on how we uh, um, bring better attention to our rural centers uh, in one of the region and how I can be more responsive in my work to uh, to those environments uh, which is sort of a cathartic thing growing up in northern Ontario myself so I guess I rebel um, I relax and then I set another goal for myself like I need another one. That, <laughs> so that was sounds like episode. your
2: nickname. That's how I know you Always so creative Oh, thanks And why do you think that it's still important To celebrate International Women's Day? Anybody can go first
1: I think that... um... It's important because it gives Jen a chance to have a rest. But, uh, I think it also uh, gives us an opportunity to celebrate uh, the advances that, that we've made, that, that many of us have made. But it also gives us a, a chance to, to, to focus critically on where we still need to do some work. And for that one day, if, if only that one day, uh, other, other members of the community are watching and
0: paying
2: attention. So the work is not done yet. Yeah,
0: I think, that's a, I think it also gives a different avenue for people who may be experiencing um, gender based issues or don't know how or, or have room in their life to speak up in the same way. Right. So uh, so it's, it's another way for people to get involved and for a collective action uh, for people to really understand that there's people paying attention to this. And this is important. Right. Definitely it should be a national holiday.
2: <laughs> yes, I will vote for that. Thank you. Um, so let's talk to you about um, gender justice in relations to your work. Right. So how's your work? And let's start with Elizabeth. Um, how's your work at YW, but also your work as a regional council at regional council is related to gender justice. What is your approach to this work? And what strategies do you employ? And we would love to hear here some, like at least one example of success and some challenges that you see. Sure.
1: Um, Okay. Well, I think all of our programs do touch on, uh, on improving women's and girls, uh, physical, uh, mental health and economic security. So every, everything we do has that as a goal. But I think what we, what we try, what we are trying more to do um, these days is not just um, look at what we do, but look at how we do it. And that means um, in, in, in including and uh, in elevating women's voices and the voices of diverse women in, in our leadership positions. We have, for instance, an all women board of directors. Um, that's um, something that some people question, but we feel as a, as a women's organization dedicated to, to encouraging women's leadership, our own leadership roles, roles need to be filled by women. And I think, you know, one success that I'll, I'll uh, I think we have a lot of successes, but the one that's sort of top of my mind right now is that um, we are uh, days away from opening a new uh, 41 unit supportive housing uh, build for homeless women and uh, weeks away from starting our, our 10 unit build for homeless women with children. So th- these are two really important um, uh Things in our community that will serve our most our most vulnerable women in the
2: community. That is amazing. It's just not a success for you. It's a success for the whole region. It's a success for everyone in this community. Thank you for I all of so. your work on that. And tell us a little bit about some challenges that you have faced along the way.
1: Um, well, I think I think uh, one of one of our challenges is is that. Um, Women are very busy, <laughs> and uh, I think that you know we, we we are always trying to get women into into roles uh, on our board and and on our staff teams, and 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 uh, it's it's not as easy for women to 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 find the time to make those things happen
2: sometimes. Definitely, I'm calling yeah. it now triple shift, not even double shift, and with all you know because of COVID, working from home. It seems like all of the boundaries between these three shifts have blurred so badly, right? Like you don't know when your first shift ends, if it ever ends. And when your second shift starts, it's been difficult to get some uh, women in leadership position, especially that sort of commitment. I hope listeners are listening and listening to the call for more women leaders to join YW as um, board members and committee members. Okay, we turn to you now, Jennifer. Same question. Would you like me to repeat?
0: No, no, that's okay. Um, it's still early in the day, so I still have some retention left <laughs> in me. And your coffee um, is it right around <laughs> the coffee? The coffee's is still there. Um, so with feminist shift, um, it's all gender justice work. Um, it, it's essentially the whole goal is is to bring forth and start to tackle um, at a local level as well as tying into um, provincial and, and national uh, initiatives, um, ways that we can. Uh, change, um, make great change and, and move that dial. So um, at the moment, everything I do is, is rooted in that. I would say that in terms of my approach um, uh, and the approach of the feminist shift is really focusing on social change and the power that that has. So the idea of, uh, you know, citizens um, uh, demanding different things and living different lives and and paying attention to the value base that we that we orchestrate our communities around um, and sort of quiet, a quieter strategic advocacy that really uh, uh, goes out after they're dismantling those systems and those things that we don't necessarily even realize that we live within, um, but can often cause havoc on our lives uh, um, in different ways um, every day. So um, uh, all of the initiatives that uh, Feminist Shift is working on, you can see them all on our website, um, uh, feministshift.ca. It it all ties in with gender justice. Um, I have a couple of successes. They're more sort of... um, personal kind of like, yeah, this was an awesome moment. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've bounced around the Y in a variety of different roles. And one of those was um, building our entrepreneurship um, uh, program. So uh, this was the first scenario in my life where I found that I was able to create a really direct intervention. And that was uh, working with newcomer women who have a variety of skills and experiences that are very valid and important. But aren't recognized from a credential standpoint um, in our in our society and knowing that I want to tackle that issue at a higher level but while I'm doing that there's also women whose talents are um, are, are just being sort of washed away in, in, in our community so being able to develop in her shoes and the, the women's entrepreneurship program was a really cool opportunity to kind of try and even at the playing field a little bit uh, because we put a different value set in, in people and their small business and the skills that come with it it's not it's not a degree that necessarily gets you you credentials in those realms.
2: So, and I know that program um, is very successful. Yeah, yeah, it seems I like love that. like you always just, have waiting lists. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, it, it's been great to kind of see that. And I think the other thing is, is um, every once in a while I end up uh, doing a talk or a workshop where someone off to the side, uh, typically these virtual environments over COVID, um, will end up crying or, or just have like an absolute burst of emotion because they don't realize that there's people like us that are spending every day um, contemplating how they can create a change, how they can create it better. And so in this context, it was feminist recovery from COVID. And the woman was just knew how much struggle was going on with the women in her life trying to balance, you know, uh childcare closures and work commitments and the injustices that become rampant. And she didn't know that there was a group of people out there that every day were trying to tackle this. So when I get those moments, it reminds me that even though I'm in the thick of it and I feel like everybody is doing this all the time, why isn't change happening? That for somebody else, we are sort of that... That hero figure, um, and, and a sense of hope, um, and, and allowing people to kind of take a breath because they know that someone's trying to poke holes in um, in the injustice that's there. So that's always
2: that's a really so sort of soft so, so true. Upstream work is always tiring and exa- exhausting, and it seems yeah. like there is no end to this work. And successes are there, but they're not that visible and that like you know explicit. So those little moments of happiness when someone is feeling that things have changed for them are really big moments right for for them as well yeah. as for those who are trying to make those changes definitely so we move to the next question and it's a bit of a personal question um what barriers have you faced as a woman in your career um and please don't stop there because we see where you are in terms of your career you're you're at 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 really a height of your careers right now height so what we want to know is that what strategies did you use? It was not luck. You used some strategies, right? What strategies strategies did you use to break through those barriers? So let's hear from Jennifer this time first. Um, yeah, so, you
0: know, I grew up... Um with a tough as nails mother who really instilled a sort of loud and justice-seeking voice in me. I've been calling out stuff since I was old enough to put a sentence together. Um, some of it very logical, some of it illogical, a lot of it focused on why them, not me, or 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 sort of a a gendered approach. Um, uh, what I found as I started my career, when I would clone that approach um, um, in the nonprofit realm, I often found that it wasn't well received. Um, it was an issue it was too pushy or it was uh um I was too emotional or too passionate about something or uh, I was too directly uh, holding folks accountable so I have a long history in different organizations with you know uh, files full of little very strategically worded uh, um, uh, white slips of paper that remind me <laughs> remind me of where uh, where my place should be and some of those are warranted but I often find that with um uh with with that that we have generations where of women who have been taught to be quieter uh to be strategic when you decide to speak to uh to hold accountability but don't you know fall on your sword for that accountability and that change takes time and things like that and i think we still infuse that in each other a little bit too too easily um, thank you jennifer
2: so, uh, yeah. well listen we'll come back i promise we'll listen to you and we'll hear from we'll uh, listen from uh, listen to Elizabeth answered this question, but now there is time to take a quick break. This is Kitchener today on City News 570. Welcome back. We, welcome back listeners. We're here with Elizabeth Clark and Jennifer Gordon from YW. And we're going to ask, we're going to continue and ask Elizabeth Clark What barriers has she faced in her career and what strategies has she employed to overcome those barriers?
1: Uh, Thanks, Basia. Well, it's it's uh, it's quite a simple strategy. Um, My my career before coming to the Y was pretty varied, but I am a social worker, so they were always in social work positions. And most recently I was working in child welfare and I looked around. The, uh, the organization, and I saw that 80% of the people, more than 80% in frontline jobs were women. At the supervisory and management level, about 50% were women. And at the senior leadership level, men. Oh. And I thought Breaking news? Not here. really. <laughs> Not breaking news. Uh, there's been lots of research to say that the, that particular organization was pretty typical. And so my strategy was moving to an organization that, I, that was a women's organization where I knew I would not have to deal with that systemic stuff. Um, I don't know that giving up and moving on is necessarily the best solution for everybody. But I think that um, there is a point where you have to say, you know, you, you, can't, you can't fight against the system, create a new system.
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. And uh, I can just talk to you here all day but all good things must end, as I always say. Here, your last minute to tell the community, Waterloo Region, how the Waterloo Region, how the community can support your work.
1: Well, uh, we... I've already put in a plug for uh, board leaders and and, uh, staff. We have lots of positions. Please check out our website. We very much encourage uh, anyone who identifies as a woman, uh, particularly from diverse backgrounds, to join us. We have, uh, we're a charity. All of our programs require some level of of financial assistance from the community. And we do have a big capital project that I've just mentioned. If you'd like to support homes for homeless women and children, um, donations will be very gratefully received.
2: Thank you so much, Elizabeth, and thank you, Jennifer. It was great to host you over here. And now it's time for a news break. And coming up after the news, we will chat with Jenna Mayer from from Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region. She's the Communication and funds Development Manager. So please stay tuned. Come back after the news. Again, Welcome back to the show, listeners. I'm here in the studio through Zoom with Jenna Main, Funds Development and Communications Manager at Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region. Join me in welcoming Jenna to the show. And I was, must tell you, Jenna, that the podcast that uh, you have been responsible for at Women's Crisis Services, she is a neighbor. It's just amazing. Thank you for your oh. work there.
4: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so glad to hear you like the podcast.
2: That is an amazing work. Congratulations. So I'm going to just start directly talking up to you about your work. Tell us how does your work relate to gender justice? And what is your approach to your work? It could be your organization or you as an individual or both. And what strategies do you employ? And please, please, please share a couple of success stories with us. We all need this, even though there is a beautiful sunny day outside. You know, nice stories are never not needed. And then also some of the challenges that you face in this work.
4: Okay, yeah, no problem. Um, So at Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, we're really focused on empowering women and children to move beyond violence. And we know that domestic violence is a gendered issue. So gender justice is really, really important to us at our organization and making sure that women and kids have access to the resources and the support that they need when they're experiencing domestic violence. Um, Our approach to this, we have a few different ways that we try and accomplish this, uh, but we have a big focus this year, especially on education and prevention. I think that is super important. You know, we have our emergency shelters, which... Of course, are desperately needed in our region, but I think we need to do a little bit more than that too. We need to be providing education to the community, working on prevention, and that's why we have been working on initiatives like you mentioned, like our podcast "She Is Your Neighbor," um, to try and create a bit more awareness about the realities of domestic violence, just how complex it is, and who it happens to. You know, it really happens to so many different people in so many different neighborhoods, and I think sometimes we think of certain person experiencing domestic violence. Um, and that's that's just not true. So many people from different backgrounds experience it um, in different ways. And I think it's really important that we talk about that and acknowledge it and find ways to support people in in ways that work for them. Um, and you'd asked about some success stories too. Um, I know it has, it's definitely been today's a nice day, but it's been a a challenging year, a challenging couple of years with COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Mm -hmm. anyone who works in the, the VAW violence against women sector would know that it's been a challenging time. Um, but there's also lots of positives too. And, uh, you know, I think about one woman, um, recently who, who did a fundraiser for us, it was a woman who stayed in our shelter not that long ago. Um, but since that, you know, she had experienced a lot of domestic violence, um, some really difficult things that she had went through. But since then, she's really been able to get it back on her feet. She's an entrepreneur now and she has her own business. Uh, she's selling clothing and proceeds are coming to us. And it was really a full circle moment that now that she's able to, she wants to give back to other women and kids in the community. So what an amazing like story. That. Yeah, it's just amazing.
2: Just making this beautiful day even more beautiful. Yeah. And what sort of challenges do you face in this work?
4: Yeah, there's quite a few challenges. I think, um, you know, the first thing I think of is there's a lot of biases and stigma when it comes to domestic violence again, we might think it happens to a certain kind of person. Uh, We might think that it's not something we can talk about. There's like a lot of shame associated with domestic violence, people thinking that it's their fault or, or wondering why a woman might not leave a situation, which um, I think is kind of a silly question to ask really, because there's, there's a lot of really complex reasons why people end up in these situations. Um, So I think one challenge is kind of facing those stigmas and the biases around domestic violence. Another problem, um, during COVID, during the pandemic, there's just been a lot of challenges. Um, Things that were already challenges have been amplified. The housing crisis has made it really difficult for women to be able to leave our emergency shelters in Mm -hmm. a timely manner and get into safe, affordable housing. So that's a big problem we're facing right now. And then COVID in general. Um, I know mask mandates are lifting soon and lots of regulations are dropping. Um, But in congregate care, unfortunately, that's just not where we're at right now. It's, it's, Still a challenging time.
2: COVID has definitely taken a toll, all of us, everywhere. And when you are facing other challenges, it, it definitely like it doubles up everything. So, tell us, how can we support your work in this community?
4: Yeah, I think there's lots of ways people can support and lots of ways the community already has supported. We're so grateful for everyone um, around International Women's Day who did fundraisers, who just reached out and highlighted our organization. Um, and those are a couple ways. You know, you can, you can of course, donate uh, to directly support the work that's being done. You can volunteer. Um, some of our in-shelter opportunities are a little limited right now, but we're trying to bring them back soon. Um, so there'll be kind of volunteer opportunities there. And then also that education and prevention piece I had mentioned, I think the more we can just talk about domestic violence, have these open and honest conversations, um, you know, share things on social media, tag us and just try and kind of create that awareness and that conversation that I think is really needed.
2: Thank you, Jenna. And my next question is a little bit about the connection between racial justice and gender justice. How do you see racial justice in relation to gender justice work that you do? How does it apply to your work?
4: Yeah, I think the two are just so interconnected. You really can't have one without the other. Um, We know that women experience, you know, rates of domestic violence much higher than men. It's it's a gendered issue. But then even further than that, we know that Black women, Indigenous women, they also experience higher and more escalated um, rates of domestic violence too. So I think it's really important to acknowledge this and talk about it and try and find solutions to it. Uh, you know, I was reading a couple stats the other day and I think it's one in four women of a visible minority under 24 years old have experienced intimate partner violence in the last 12 months. So, you know, that is not okay. And also Indigenous women, they experience rates of violence three times higher than any other population in Canada. Uh, And these are things we need to be talking about. We need to be discussing and, and finding solutions to um, and I think our organization's really working on a lot of EDI work right now, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and, and trying to figure out how we can make things better for all the different women in our community.
2: Definitely. Intersectionality of experiences is a real thing. The more strikes you have against you, the worse the experience. Definitely. Um, So, listeners, we're going to ask another question from our guest, Jenna, and then we'll open up the phone lines for you to call in. If you want to call in, say hi and, and let us know what is your way of breaking the bias on this International Women's Week. We would love to hear that. Jenna, how did you celebrate International Women's Day?
4: Yeah, uh, it was a really great day at our organization. Uh, we did some things in the organization and also in the community. We had uh, asked all of our staff to help us put together this video and same with our community supporters to talk about how we can break the bias uh, and just start these conversations. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, for me personally, I'm actually pregnant. I'm going to be a, a mom this year. So congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So International Women's Day was uh, pretty cool for me because I was kind of thinking about that and thinking uh, what it's going to be like for me, (laughs) you know, have a have a daughter and uh, and just think about why it's so important for us to have a a really gender equal world. And I was just feeling really grateful to get to work at this organization and, and in this community.
2: That's amazing. I read in your bio, you said that you were really drawn towards journalism but really, like sort of, it was a tie between not-for-profit work and journalism and then not-for-profit work won. Yeah,
4: <laughs> that's so true. And now I feel like I, I kind of get to do both with our podcast that we have and, uh, and, yeah, working at Women's Crisis. So it's pretty cool.
2: Great. Thanks, Jenna. So again, listeners, if you would like to call in, the phone lines are open, open now. Call us with your messages for International Women's Day or a question for me or Jenna. Hello again. Welcome back. We have five minutes before we take a break, a commercial break um, in this segment. I'm going to ask a question from Jenna, and but phone lines are open. Please feel free to call in. Say hi to Jenna or and me as well. Here I am, first time doing this show. Would love to hear from you. Jenna, why do you think it's still important to celebrate International Women's Day?
4: Yeah, I think it's really important, especially in our work, um, being a violence against women organization. I think um, we kind of have a, a duty and a responsibility to acknowledge International Women's Day and also to celebrate. I think it can be, you know, really challenging work sometimes, but I think there's a lot of strong women who work in this field um, and who help women and kids uh, make make their lives better every day and, and also celebrating those strong women who we support, too. Um, It takes a lot of courage to to leave a relationship or even just to go through the experience of domestic violence. So I think uh, International Women's Day is just a great time of year. We can uh, think about our successes, even despite the challenges and and uh, and celebrate a little bit.
2: Definitely. How are you celebrated this International Women's Day?
4: Um, Yeah, well, it was pretty cool at our work. There were lots of treats people had brought in. um, Different uh, donors and community supporters had brought in Tim Hortons. There was pizza from Dave Rocks uh, for the women and for the kids and staff. And and that was pretty nice to see. Uh, And then there was also lots of people in the community doing third-party events and fundraisers for us. So that was exciting. Uh, Pretty by her. It's a a local Cambridge business. Uh, Kelly's the owner there. Um, and she had a bit of a giveaway going. I think it actually goes until today if, if people want to enter. Um, and it was for, you know, gift cards to these candle companies. And she was also going to make a donation to our organization in honor of International Women's Day. So uh, that was a really nice way to celebrate and something nice to see. That
2: is so wonderful to hear. So let's just talk to you about you as, an, as a woman yourself. What barriers have you faced in your career? And how did you overcome those barriers?
4: Yeah, I think there's always barriers um, for young women kind of in the working world when it comes to being taken seriously. Um, you know, it can, it can be a bit difficult depending what sector you're in. But I've found ever since I've worked at this organization and in this sector, there's really a big shift when you're working in a, a women-focused organization. There's lots of support. Uh, people want to hear your ideas. Um, And it's pretty cool to be a part of something like this, too. Um, But that said, I'll also acknowledge that I'm a white woman. So I think my experiences are a lot different than racialized women, too. Uh, And that's something our organization is kind of focused on thinking about, too. um, Acknowledging kind of like we talked about earlier with She Is Your Neighbor, that people come from different backgrounds. They have different experiences. Uh, different ways that they need support too. Um, so so I think that's some, an important piece to, to acknowledge.
2: And tell me, how did you think of this? How did you get this idea of She's Your Neighbor campaign?
4: Yeah, um, well, you know, it started off, we wanted to do some sort of communications campaign a few years ago, something about domestic violence to kind of get the community thinking about it. Because uh, I do think there's so much shame and stigma and people aren't always comfortable talking about it. Um, And something that kind of bothered us was a lot of the times when you see domestic violence mentioned uh, or talked about online, you kind of see those same stock images used of of women crying or in the shower Mm -hmm. shadows. And it's not very empowering. Yeah, You feel like maybe this is not a real life issue. Yeah, exactly. It's not something you can connect to, right? Mm -hmm. So, we really wanted to bring people from our community into this project, show their faces, bring their voices into it, um, and show that she is your neighbor. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence, and it is something that impacts people from all sorts of neighborhoods. So, Um, that's kind of where the idea started. And since then, it's grown into a podcast, which is uh, really cool to be a part of and kind of just a, a neat way to get some education out there.
2: Thank you, Jenna. So now is the time to take a quick break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Phone lines are open. When we come back, feel free to call us. Hello and welcome back to Kitchener Today's show. We have a caller waiting here and I'm just so excited to get my first live call on this show. Hello, Yasir.
5: Hi. uh, May I know your name first? I want to congratulate you on the show.
2: Thank you. My name is Fauzia.
5: Fauzia, yeah. Or you can call
2: me Fauzia.
5: Oh, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm from the same region, I believe. Like, uh, and I've been listening to the show forever and... uh, since I moved back to Canada, so I was so amazed to uh, hear all the conversation, whatever you guys said, and especially you. I want to welcome you in the show. Uh, no, I'm not the host, but I still want to say welcome.
1: Thank because you. Thank you. First
5: time. Uh, I had to Google the number, by the way, like you didn't give the number.
2: Oops.
1: So
5: I was waiting for that. I'm like, OK, whenever she's going to say this is the number, so I'm going to give the call.
2: Oops, right? I, yeah. I knew, knew I will it. have moments of public embarrassment. That's my first moment of public embarrassment.
5: No, I don't want to. I don't want (laughs) to say that. Thank
2: you for calling (laughs) in. Did you celebrate International Women's Day?
5: Yes, kind of. We do pretty much every day. The celebration is never new for us. So, uh, I don't want to bring the spiritual part or the religious part in, but what it is, like, we believe it's been forever, and we have to appreciate them every day. It's not just one-time activity, you know. So this is what I believe in.
2: Definitely, definitely. Thank yes. you so much for calling in, Yasser. Do you have any message to give to the Waterloo region?
5: Well, uh, for now, all I gonna say like uh, you guys are doing good. So uh, keep working hard. What it is, the only bad thing happened. I moved back can- in Canada, and after three years, and I see everything is so much high. The prices are high. The housings are high. If you can do something, please. Try to bring the pricing down so we can have a better life again.
2: This is a great call for the region of Waterloo, people who are in power, all of our politicians. I'm, I hope that you are listening to Yasser. Thank you so much, Yasser. Have a beautiful day. Okay, now that I have fielded my first live call, let's go back to Jenna. And four lines are open, to feel free to call, so feel free to call in. Listeners. Jenna, let me ask you a bit of a personal question. What? Like, remember in the big uh, earlier, I was talking about uh, when I read your bio, you were sort of torn between journalism or not-for-profit work. So, what was the deciding factor that actually brought you to the uh, to the not-for-profit world that took over?
4: Yeah. um, Well, it was kind of a tough decision. I I love journalism. I love um, telling people's stories and getting to talk to all sorts of different people. Um, so that was what I loved about that. But I also always kind of wanted to do something for a nonprofit and do work with women. Um, and I just, you know, I, I worked in journalism for a while. It's, it's not always the most stable (laughs) job sometimes either. So I'll admit that was a factor, um, and then eventually this opportunity came up at Women's Crisis Services. And I've been here for three and a half, almost four years now. And I just love the work. I feel like I get to do a bit of everything in this job. It's a little bit of journalism with the podcast and also um, working with our community and, and focusing on women and kids and how we can support them. So I really love it.
2: Thank you so much. Let's hear from our second caller. Hello. Hi, Fozia. Hi. Uh, it's can it's you say it again. Ikram, Ikram, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling in. Congratulations on this program. Thank I'm you. A <laughs> Thank you. You want to tell us about your um, International
6: Women's Day experience? How are yeah, you going sure. to break the bias? Sure. Thank you so much for the. Actually, there are many ways I have been working in the community to break the bias. Uh, first of all, I would like to empower more women to. To to be empowered themselves, to be uh, independent, and to participate in the community. Also, I would like to break the bias by uh, uh, give uh, more tools to women to report hate. As you know, for the year, I am uh, the lead for reporting hate and discrimination uh, um, acts that taking place uh, some in some areas. So. I um, I always work with women to um, empower them and to support them in uh, tackling these issues. Um, I uh, celebrated the International Women's Day with uh, the Coalition of Muslim Women in a very, very inspiring, lovely event, Tea and Tales uh and uh, that was really amazing for me as a person uh, to meet all these lovely uh, ladies in that event thank you for my, uh, so much for this um opportunity and i would like to thank jenna well because what they are doing in the community is amazing i have uh referred many women to their services and the impact is really amazing thank you so much ladies for what you are doing in the community
2: thank you so much ikram for your work and for calling in thanks a lot and listeners it's time for a news break now coming up coming up after the news we will chat with sara shafiq director of programming and services at the coalition of muslim women of kw this is kitchener today on city news 570 welcome back to kitchener today with your guest with your guest uh, host none other than Fazia mazhar I'm here today highlighting and celebrating the successes of some fierce women leaders in our region. Next on the show, my, my, my guest is uh, someone who I have the honor of working alongside for a very long time. It's none other than Sara Shafiq, the Director of Programming and Services at the Coalition of Muslim Women of KW. Welcome, Sara, to the show.
3: Hello. Hi, Fozia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Hello, Sarah. I'm the same Fozia that you see every day. Okay. <laughs> this is great. But we, don't, we just have to pretend I mean, on this show. Okay. I'm going just, to be asking <laughs> some questions and you're my guest.
3: Wonderful. So let's talk
2: about uh, first your work related to gender justice. What is your approach to the work and what strategies do you use to be successful in your work?
3: Well, so um, I have been with the coalition for the past 10 years, and uh, um, I joined uh, as a volunteer. It was a volunteer-led organization, and recently for the past three, four years, it's been a paid position. So I'm a staff member. And so um, our work started um, off as um, a response to actually um, some, a particular um, legislation that was Um, Bill 94 that was um, um, presented, uh, and it was um, uh, presented to Quebec in Quebec uh, legislation. And um, this was a response that, you know, local Muslim men here in Kitchener-Waterloo region uh, wanted to have a say. And so there was a lot of conversation around Bill 94 at the time. Um, Around the country, a lot of pundits, a lot of columnists were talking about and a lot of men were talking about and politicians uh, about what um, should be done with with this problem that Muslim women, uh, especially those who who were covering uh, their face, so they were um, legislating uh, against that. And local women said, uh, thought came together that um, this should not be. So our voices are missing from this conversation. And you know, so the so the organization started off as a response, as a uh, response to what was targeted, um, uh, you know, systemic sort of bias uh, against uh, against us. So um, so. You know, that was one conversation that led to uh, really an organization that started off um, with the focus on empowering Muslim women and empowering um, leaders, uh, Muslim women as leaders and change makers within the Muslim community. So for this to take place, we need um, we need to support and have that uh, structure to support Muslim women within uh, the uh, within their homes, within their community, and within the larger system. And so our work is um, uh, is it, around this and, um, you know, specifically around my, I've been involved with the Together Against Islamophobia program in developing it from really a really small project. Now, uh, it's a really comprehensive program, and we focus on gendered Islamophobia. And you may ask, what's gendered Islamophobia? uh, So why don't uh, you tell us
2: what gendered Islamophobia is?
3: Yeah, so we know about the anti-Muslim hate that shows its ugly tip of the iceberg every few years, like what happened in Quebec City mosque attack uh, in 2017 and the Azal family truck attack in London last June. So for Muslim women, there is an added layer of oppression because of their gender. And so uh, that's something that um, many of uh, Muslim women are visible, Muslim uh, women. Obviously, they are racialized uh, women. There is an element of uh, anti-black racism as well. So because of that gender element, um, Muslim women face an added um, layer of oppression that uh, they have to navigate and they have to counter. And that is uh, a barrier. So this is the work that we do, our focus um, um, is is for everyone, but generally, you know, to counter Islamophobia at every level, individual and systemic. Uh, but the focus is gendered
2: Islamophobia. So, thank you, thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Let's take a break. Let's let, let me talk to the listeners for a second. Listeners, our phone lines are open. You can call any 570 2545 or one eight hundred five seven zero five seven one five. On your cell, is star 570. We're waiting for your calls. Call the studio to talk to me, say hi, or talk to Sarah. Ask any questions that you might have. Hello, welcome back. Our phone lines are open. Call in anytime, 519 570 2545 1-800-570-5715. On your cell phone, is star 570. Let us continue our conversation with Sarah Shafiq. Director of Programming and Services with the Coalition of Muslim Women of KW. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing us a little bit about the history of the coalition and your work around uh, on gender gendered Islamophobia. Let me ask you a question. Um, how do you see racial justice in the context of gender justice when it comes to your work?
3: No, anti-racism. Um, and I would say that... Um, for anti-racism work um, and in addition to anti-colonial lens so anti-racism lens anti-colonial lens anti-imperialism lens those are really critical important uh, for gender justice work Um, I mean it's actually harmful uh, to use just a feminist lens without understanding the anti-imperialistic or racial justice element uh, aspect of it so um, you know so those are really critical and uh, actually if you are not using gender racial justice, then uh, we're actually harming the uh, harming women and the cause of racial just of uh, gender justice and feminism um cause of feminism uh, as well so you know for international policies we have uh, you know waged war for decades because we were not mindful of that and women
2: and, and children are disproportionately affected by war and violence.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, those are uh, these these go hand in hand and one uh, missing the other is, um, you know, it creates more harm. So we really want to want to focus um, and keep that in mind and, and, you know, utilize those aspects. Uh, mindful of how um you know women um, uh, policies to uplift women are not just centered on uh, on on um, women of, of a particular um of um, just a majority uh, sort of, um, you yeah. know, that's, that tends to be the case that uh, when when policies are made, you know, the other identities are um, uh, catering to uh, the, the mainstream sort of population. And then uh, those who are racialized and they're not in the mainstream, they're not very visible or they don't have power in the system, you know, they're left out. And, uh, you know, that that again, that harms women and harms um you know uh, their communities so it's really it's really they're very interconnected and they need to be actually you know there's more need to connect them even even at, uh, at a deeper level and you know more strongly as well
2: this is so true in gender justice work equitable access equitable policies all of these things are very important we really have to keep in mind keep in mind the diversity within the within the women's community around the world and locally as well um sara my next question about you you talked a little bit about your work with the coalition of muslim women of kw what would you count as your biggest success in that work mm-hmm. Oh yeah it might not be think, the success that you are or you were looking for but something that you that makes you feel really proud that you yes we were able to you were able to make some change yeah you know let's
3: say uh, definitely we have a great team and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a teamwork and lots of successes actually um you know just one just one <laughs> I, mean, I mean i think establishing a really holistic program for women empowerment at a really grassroots level so really you know that uh, approach that women need to be protected and supported uh, in their homes so there is um you know, work uh, for um, uh, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, work prevention work. So that um, that is there. Community violence piece uh, is there around the Um and um, you know, at systems level, we do that that work as well. So that and and then empowering youth, empowering um, women um, who are you know with opportunities with um, for for financial. Um, Um, you know, stability and uh, in all those aspects, that really holistic program uh, really is it's a success story that, you know, I feel um, yeah, I'm really, really very proud of and it's uh, really needed in the community. And I see there's and I can count some more as well, like some ground-breaking work uh, to launch a comprehensive hate or discrimination reporting and support program. So there are many other successes, but I feel like this approach is and um, working not just at the, you know, really grassroots level, which is really, really important, but also uh, advocating and uh, advocacy at the systems level. So um, that comprehensive approach is this, uh, something that um, I'm, I'm personally really proud of and, um, you know, of, of, of the team and, and the work that's been done. Yeah,
2: we call it upstream and downstream work, right? You have to Absolutely. work both downstream and upstream.
3: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, great. provincial <laughs>
2: project I just want to remind our listeners again that our phone lines are open 519-570-2545 800 Five seven zero five seven one five star five seventy on your cell phone. Feel free to call in, say hi, share your message for International Women's Day, ask a question. Fazia, Sarah, whoever you would like to answer that question, we're here for you. So, Sarah, let me ask you a personal question: What barriers have you faced as a woman? In your career, I know you so uh, you're working for the coalition as director of programming and services, but you're also an educator. You are uh, connected with a post-secondary education, with post-secondary education and you teach. So what barriers have you faced in any of your careers so far? And and how did you overcome those barriers? Now,
3: can I start with uh, how my gender actually
2: facilitated um, where I am? That would be a nice take. Why not? <laughs>
3: So um, you know, I did my undergrad in uh, computer sciences, and I um, in Pakistan. So I'm originally uh, grew up, uh, was born in Pakistan, grew up in Pakistan. And um, in the middle of, uh, you know, after two years, I said, you know, I can't do this. This is um, uh, not my field, not my passion. I want to find and discover my passion, and computer science wasn't it. And because of I feel my gender, I was given the opportunity to explore um, that if I was a male, I was a, you know. A a boy, um a man, I would not be given this opportunity to yes, explore. Yes, because you would be
2: you would be expected to make a lot of money for the family.
3: Right. And you know, just earn um and, and that luxury of exploring is not there, obviously, you know, as as a um in, in the culture and, and generally too. Uh, there's an expectation that um, men need to be supporting the family and be the um, breadwinner for the family. And um, you know, sociology or any other field in social sciences, that's uh, th- that's not a very lucrative um, field. So, so that was the advantage I have. Um, and then, so I went on to pursue my um, passion. I uh, went into sociology, um, did my doctorate and completed that. Um, The uh, barriers for sure, you know, in academia is um, it it is it's very um, it's very competitive. It's um, you know, there are so few vacancies that are uh, to new track and uh, it's always a challenge for those who. Uh, we are coming from a system which is they're not familiar with the system just to have those mentors to have um, um you know those those opportunities that um, you know that that make the connection and it's definitely a a uh the tenure track um side of things is, is um it's is hard to, you know, get your foot in the door, and um, uh, that's there. But then, you know, at the same time, opportunities were also provided. So I'm, I'm really grateful. I do teach uh, at the local uh, university at Laurier. So uh, it's, it's part time and uh, contract faculty. Um, uh, you know, this uh, having. Um, were you able to find
2: op- a mentor, or a coach that helped you all along along?
3: Um, not really. I think that, um, that is something that, um, I, I do miss and, you know, they definitely, st- it's a very supportive environment and it's great to, you know, uh, be in that environment, but, uh, in terms of career progression, that's something that I, I do, uh, miss and that's, um, that, that's something that I would appreciate as well.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. And you told us a lot about your work, we definitely appreciate your work in the community. Would you like to share with our listeners how the Waterloo region, how people over here, the community over here can support your work?
3: So um, locally at a larger level, I would say uh, be really vocal in your um, opposition to Bill Thirty One. So this is in Canada. This is something which is um which is which is in our legislator legislation um, uh, for the past what th- four years, five years now since 2017. Um, 2019. so three years now. and uh, you know this is something that is missing. We um, unfortunately, Muslims haven't seen um, much support around this. Uh, it's changing a little bit. We were really expecting Women's Rights Organization to do uh, so much to challenge this extremely discriminatory law um, in Canada. So, um, you know, at a really larger systemic level, that is something we would really appreciate the support uh, at that level. But then at local level, uh, you know, just um, first of all, you know, joining our... um, and, and understanding where with our work and learning about our work and learning about, you know, what are the barriers um, and making a change in your circle. So I really believe that, you know, uh, in your circle of influence, if you can do um you know, and change, make change in that circle of influence, that really goes a long way. So you could be um, you know, at a very individual level, you could, um, you know, learn about what college of muslim women and other community organizations uh, really grassroots uh, racialized uh, women-led organizations are doing and, uh, you know, participating uh, with, uh, with your time and with your energy and with um, you know, and being champions in your circle of influence that's really important, you know, if if you're in a um, institution, how do you bring anti Islamophobia trainings in your uh, in your organizations? Or so so really being a champion for um, racialized women, Muslim women um, would be would be really important. And certainly we um, you know really appreciate monetary uh, donations as well and monetary help. That is uh, dollars are important. Dollars are nobody can you know, deny that. <laughs> We need to, you know, pay the staff and the amazing work that's being done, and to further that work. So um, we we really appreciate that as well.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Sarah. So, what's your favorite memory of International Women's Day? Can it be something more recent or from the past?
3: Well, I mean, just yesterday. Um, so, International Women's Day, I have to share this really quote that uh, you know I um, came across. Um, which says women should be honored every day, but International Women's Day is a reminder for those who need it. So,
2: I really want to I add love it. this. In. I love it because we often hear this argument, right? Every day is Women's Day. Yes, every mm-hmm. day is Women's Day to work, but well, maybe one day women's can be celebrated, right? Women can be celebrated. Yeah.
3: So, um, so absolutely, you know, this is this really spoke to me and um, it really needs to be recognized and this uh, importance in in uplifting those voices. So yesterday I helped out in our Tea and Tales program by the Coalition of Muslim Women, um, which provides an opportunity for our larger community members to learn about Muslim women over a cup of tea and treat, treats so that uh, we really receive amazing feedback. Uh, from the participants, and we make sure to showcase the diversity within the Muslim community. Um, And, uh, you know, many times um, community members see Muslim women around in the parks and at grocery stores, but they don't have, um, may not have a chance to have um, had a conversation with them. And so we read a lot about Muslim women, um, but, um, uh, you know, but, but, having a conversation uh, with them is um, so we read about them but um, um, having a conversation with them is really important and there's so many amazing stories that they share um, and that was really amazing just to um, uh, be part of that celebration and um, you know have, um, have that dialogue it was really beautiful
2: In 30 seconds, why do you think it's important to celebrate International Women's Day?
3: yeah i uh it's a chance for women to um you know support each other uplift those uh, voices that we um sometimes not many times we don't hear uh, about uh really tune in to the cause to the plight to you know there's harm being done and uh, you know to um shine a light like focus on that it's uh, it, it's really important for um, for all those reasons, for to stop the harm and then to uplift um, those really valuable contributions and um, celebrate women, this this
2: is, um, you know, this, yeah. celebrate women. What, a, yes, there couldn't be a better way to end this. Thank you, Sarah, for your work in the community. Thank you for being here with me this afternoon. It is time for news break now. Coming up after the news, we will chat with. Rino Bandari, who is the executive director of Focus for Ethnic Women, and Joan Westcote from Zonta. It's Kitchener Today, City, City News 570. Welcome back, listeners, to Kitchener Today with your guest host, Fazia Mazhar. In me, with me in the studio, of course, virtually, are two fierce, strong leaders, female leaders in this community. I have the honor of presenting to you Reno Bandari, who is the executive director of Focus for Ethnic Women, with a long history of doing amazing work in this community for racialized women, and equally praiseworthy and respectable, John Westcott. Westcott from Zonta Club of Kitchener, Waterloo. And I cannot be happier than having you over here. So let's start some questions. I have, a, I have a few questions for you. And I think let's start from International Women's Day. How did you celebrate International Women's Day? And why do you think it's still important to celebrate International Women's Day? Let's start with Joan.
7: Um, that's a big question. But first, um, I spend a lot of time online, I can say that. Uh, there were so many, so many programs available, not only just in our community, but online um, to to be participating in and and attending, even though it's online. And so um, I spent a lot of time uh, celebrating that way, as well as promoting it to make sure that uh, everyone was aware that it was you a international. You do an amazing
2: role. job of it. You are a community connector.
7: We uh, But we still have a long way to go. So we need to keep recognizing the importance of the day.
2: That's great. Why do you think it's still important for women to continue, uh, women, not just women, everybody to continue to celebrate International Women's Day?
7: I think we're we're working towards uh, getting recognition that if we can find a way to have equality for women across the sectors, that it advantages men and women. It doesn't just advantage women. And, and I, think, uh, I think we're coming close to that. And, and certainly now, um, when we're, we're looking to promote women, we're looking to promote all, not only women, but a diversity of women. And so our challenges are still there to make sure that, that we keep pushing forward and, and making change.
2: Really, there is no time to stop, not yet, for sure. Vino, we turn to you.
8: Uh, Sure. I think I believe that women were always empowered, but we had to wait for others to recognize it and acknowledge it. If you look at what women do as a mother, as a partner, um, as a homemaker, sometimes going out to earn income as well, uh, just look at how they handle it. But I think as far as recognition and acknowledgement is concerned, we've made great strides. So it's about time that we celebrate it. That that is
2: a great way to look at it. We have come a long way. Maybe we haven't reached the destination yet, but we've come a
8: long way. We have. And, you know, uh, my grandfather used to say, women know how to fly. Just give them wings and watch them soar.
2: That is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. So I'm going to ask you, Renu, to start and share with our listen- listeners, how is your work related to gender justice? Just tell us um, about your work. I know it's related to gender yeah. justice.
8: Okay. okay. So you've given me open uh, forum yes. to talk about my work, our work, Focus for Ethnic Women. Please. Um First of all to celebrate this day we started a physical activity program for women at Chandler Moore community center it will run every tuesday from 12:30 to 2 1 hour of free physical activity followed by half an hour of networking and sharing and that's that amazing that started on women's day it's free and recognizing that child care is a barrier for women to step out and join something like this. We are also providing child minders to look after their children.
2: That is amazing. Now, Having this opportunity to, for women to socialize, to come out. I think everybody needs it after COVID, especially. Yeah. I just use and, after COVID as COVID is just <laughs> done. I'm not
8: sure if that was the right thing to use. Well, let's
2: hope Almost for the best. after
8: COVID. How about that? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. So uh, you the question you asked, to answer that, we have to have our finger on the pulse of the community and first identify where the need is and then address the need. So physical activity is something I believe in. And also we believe it leads to uh, easier integration And we are working with Wilfeloria University and especially the CPAC, Center for Physically Active Communities, to present this program on Tuesdays and then on Thursdays at Victoria Hills, St. That is amazing. Then we realize that we live in a technological world now. Even to find your way from point A to point B, uh, you need the assistance of some kind of technology. So, keeping that in mind, we started a digital literacy program. It's been ongoing for a few years now. So, that is for their survival in today's society. That is so true. And that is at the grassroots level. Now, let's talk about leadership level. So, we are now starting a program called Focus on Leadership, where we will train women to become board members.
2: For that North is Broadway. amazing. We had YW here in the show earlier and they were talking about recruiting more women for their board and committees. I hope you're That's listening,
8: right? Elizabeth. <laughs> yes, we thought so too, that there is a need out there for boards to add diversity and equity and inclusion to actually put it into practice. So we thought, okay, what better time could there be for us to train women to become successful board members for these nonprofit agencies.
2: Thank you, Rina. So, so uh,
8: understand the need and address it. That's our approach.
2: That is a great approach. That is a great approach. Let's hear from Joan.
8: Well,
7: um, our Zonda Club is a is a local service club, and and uh, so we're a volunteer organization, but we're part of Zonta International, so worldwide. We're working to empower women, and as we say, through service and advocacy. So in our advocacy work, we really are focusing on on current issues, and violence against women has been so prominent that we really have been giving that great focus. uh, We're very involved during the 16 days of activism, November the 25th, December the 10th, um, and our our slogan for Zonta is Santa says no. Santa says no to violence against women, and so we were, you know, getting some orange lights up in in on Water on King Street in Waterloo and in Cambridge the Cambridge sign, but we really were trying to share information. And I I have to say that that so many I I think that people understand that violence is is a big issue here, but there were lots of people who aren't aware of how it has increased against women in the last few years. And um, I really appreciate the information we were getting from our police service. Um, not that I like the information, but we were able to share it with people so that people know that it is becoming a serious issue. COVID, and then was, tied very,
2: into, COVID was very hard yes. when it comes. We call it the second silent pandemic.
7: Very true. Yeah. Very true. The numbers are just... Um, devastating. And then in February, we we were highlighting uh, human trafficking because um, 60% of the human trafficking in Canada occurs along the corridors of Highway 401 and 400 in the Queen E. And so that's here. And, And people aren't aware of that. So we really are trying to promote information, helping people understand what some of the signals are so that they can identify it and then find a safe way to help person and of course for us a big thing for uh for identifying uh people who wish to escape is that hand side that's mm-hmm. been high sign that's been developed mm-hmm. and how simple that is but how important it is so we've been focusing on really gender gender-based violence as far as our advocacy work so far this t- year for for sure and um but internationally with the international projects that we're sponsoring it's involved in uh, ensuring that that girls are educated it's working on eliminating child marriage it's uh, working on uh, a more a safer environment for young girls and so there are those projects around the world and so we are we are quite focused on on gender justice
2: around the world in different ways Mm -hmm. yes it's amazing thank you so let's ask you, Joan, first, just let us know a couple of challenges that you face when you do your work. That can be external, internal.
7: Well, I, I, think, I think our big challenge is, is promoting the awareness, building a community of people who see the need for change and who want to speak out and, and help others understand uh, that this issue needs addressing. So promoting awareness or, awareness or building a community. And then the advocating advocating for change really needs that we need to have all of the information necessary so people have the information to help them promote change. And so providing the information to the appropriate people. And probably the biggest challenge is finding listening ears in decision makers. So once we've identified where the change can be made, uh, or where there can be some change promoted, we need to find decision makers who have ears willing to listen.
2: True. And that's where we call about gender imbalance in on decision making tables, right? Yeah. Oh, we have guests here later, hopefully they'll be able to talk about this a little bit more. They're focused on Um, really taking care of that gender imbalance on decision making tables, the municipal campaign schools. So I'm looking forward to hearing from them as well. Um, And they've
7: had great success. too. Yes,
2: yes, definitely. I just want to keep things hidden a little bit until they come. Okay, sorry. (laughs) No, No worries, no worries. Okay, Renu, um, would you like to share some challenges that your organization has faced, is facing in doing your work? Your work is so focused on empowering racialized women, giving them the tools for success, giving them the opportunities for, for success. What challenges are you facing in this work?
8: You know, we as women have to learn to take the first step. And one of the big challenges is to find women who need the training that we are providing and then get them to take the first step towards it. And then when they join a certain program because they need it, stay committed to it. And the other challenge I can think of is community buy-in that Joan also mentioned. For example, for our leadership program, it's great for us to train these women. Then we have to find non-profit boards who are willing to take them on. And uh, we've been doing our homework and we found several agencies who have agreed to take people on either as trainees or interns or long-term, depending on how their mutual relationship works out. That's amazing.
2: And I hope that these new board recruits are also provided with supports and mentorship and coaching and there is there is uh, investment in their success on these boards and committees. Um, I'm sure you're connected with Capacity Canada. They're doing a lot of work around diversifying the local boards and committees.
9: Yes,
8: yes, I'm yeah. aware of their work. and uh, yes, we we will stay committed to support these women that we train. And we've also requested the agencies who have agreed to take these uh, people on on their boards. Uh, to provide mentorship to them.
3: That's and great. we will
8: stay connected with the agencies as well to see what more can be done to support them. It's a good
2: segue to my next question. You already talked about one way that the community can support you and your efforts. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other ways that this community, Waterloo Region, residents, decision makers can support the work that you're doing in the community?
8: I think to begin with, the interview that uh, you are doing and airing it is reaching a lot of ears, right? So Happy that, to do that. <laughs> yes, and that raises awareness. Awareness about the wonderful agencies in our region that are doing great work and uh, for them to support us to recognize what we are doing and support us in our efforts I think that's that's a, a great way to help us. Funding is always needed. <laughs> so anytime they wish to donate, so that's the first can... time I heard that. <laughs> yes. And donations are always welcome so that we can do more of the good work. How can people
2: donate to Focus for Ethnic Women?
8: On our website, there is a little button called Donate. So you just that click sounds on easy. It. You just need to <laughs> click that button. Just click that Here button. There you go, <laughs> listeners. It'll tell you how to go about donating. But to make it simple, they can e-transfer the funds from their bank account to ca, And it will not go to my account. It's directly linked to Focus his account so the funds will go directly there and then we issue receipts for it. Thank you
2: Lino Joan we turn to you what are some ways that the community can support Zonta's work
7: when uh, for for our support of local projects for women because we're working to empower women and girls locally too and we find that our most effective way is to find financial support for projects that local agencies, are are providing for women, and so we do major fundraisers. So we have two major fundraisers this year. We have our film festival, which used to be in the fall, but this year because of COVID, etc., we're combining our International Women's Day and our our film festival together. It was supposed to be this week, but because of COVID, it's now the last week of April, April twenty seventh to thirty, so people can attend our film festival. And then our other fundraiser is our Betty Thompson Golf Classic, which will be our 30th year this year for that. And the funds from that all go to women's uh, health programs in Waterloo Region. So certainly uh, individuals can come out and support those two activities. And then the funds raised there go to projects um, we're very fortunate as a Zonta club to have great support from, uh, community, uh, organizations and leaders. When we want someone to speak out, our community leaders will, will speak out, will attend our events. We have wonderful support, wonderful support from community businesses and individuals to sponsor our activities. And so we just hope for more and, mm-hmm. and appreciate that, that word is getting out that we can make a difference.
2: In 22nd, where can people find more information about the upcoming film festival or how to get connected with Zonta in other ways?
7: Our website is the best way, zontakw.org, and they can find information on there about our activities.
2: Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Reno. We will come back. We still have more questions for you, but now is the time to take a quick break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570 welcome back listeners to 570 news city news kitchener i think i messed it up but i think i'll be forgiven for this one for sure Welcome back to the show. I have Renu and Joan with me still. Our phone lines are open. Feel free to call 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715 or star 570 on your cell phone. Let me ask Renu about uh, the International Women's Day, the importance of it. Why do you think it's still important for us to celebrate International Women's Day? It's important for
8: everyone we are making strides, right? Nothing is the same anymore. And as we advance further, it's time to celebrate. And I can give you a very quick example. In 1980, I joined um, a male-dominated profession. And my colleagues told me at the time that you won't survive you are a female, you're wrong gender, wrong color, and you speak with an accent. Well, wow, you talk
2: so, about the strikes against you one after the other.
8: I tell you, but I'll tell you something else too. I not only survived, I survived really well. And after thirty-five years of service in the same place, I retired five years ago. Congratulations. So congratulations. You break so through I, all of those barriers. I'm telling you, I had a lot of barriers, but you, I had to run twice as fast to get half as far. And I let my work speak for myself. So I had to outshine everybody else to be recognized as a good worker. But it's and not fair. Forbidden. It's a
2: lot of burden that women face it, in general. And then if you're a racialized woman, if you're a racialized woman, just sort of double up that you have to prove yourself. You're not seen for your potential. You're seen for what you have already achieved, right? Like I, I think it's still very unfair to women.
8: But you know what? Things have changed. So let's keep celebrating. Why not? Yes. I mean, well, definitely. Change has been yeah. Change has happened in the right direction. So we got to keep telling ourselves we've done good, and let's continue to do it.
6: I like so your this idea. Day, Half.
8: Glass. Glass is half full. That's right. This day is a good reminder. Let's keep on.
2: Thank you. Keep keep on keeping on, as we say. That's right. Joan, I turn to you with a different question this time. Um, you do a lot of gender justice work as you just share, as part of Zonta, Zonta Club. We're talking about Zonta. When I say you, it's sort of you and Zonta together. <laughs> right. It's that big collective you. <laughs> Um, so how do you see racial justice important in relation to the work that you do uh, in the area of gender justice, both locally and internationally?
7: Well, I I see it very important. And it's an area that I certainly have focused on uh, more recently as I've been doing more of the advocacy work at, uh, that I'm doing as as a member of ZONTA. Um, back in the 1980s, I, I was an elementary teacher as my background. And back in the 1980s, when we were working to get more women into positions of leadership in school systems, we developed an affirmative action program. And affirmative action got a bad a bad label, of course, because it was promoting women and 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 felt that women were getting uh, special treatment. But what we did was we helped. Uh, the people who were doing the interviews for promotion, that uh, they needed to change who they were looking for. They needed to focus on skills and experiences, not replacing the male principal. And so we we developed some some assistance for them to change their ways of interviewing for promotions. And we, I think now as we're working for greater diversity, we need that same focus.
2: Thank you, Joan. Thank you so much, Renu and Joan, Joan, uh, to spend your afternoon with us. We learned so much from you listeners. It's time for a news break. Coming up after the news, we will chat with Fadila Balugan, who is from African Women's Alliance of Waterloo Region, and Annika Vandenberg from Canadian Arab Women Association. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Welcome back listeners to the studio this is your guest host Fazia mazhar for Kitchener today here with me in the studio virtually of course again just to remind everyone we're still in that covid stage Annika Vandenberg from Canadian Arab Women Association and Fadila Balagan from African Women's Alliance of Waterloo region let me tell you listeners these two women i've known them for a very long time they're my inspiration. I've learned from them. I've benefited from their work in the community. It's my absolute pleasure and honor to host them today in my show, in my first debut. So let's see what we have to talk over here. Welcome, Anike and Fadila.
10: Oh, so wonderful to be here. And I have to say, like Fadila, Posia, you're both really Like people I look up to in the community as well. And I'm so happy to be on. I was so happy to see Fadila's name on the list. So we are very glad to be here.
2: That is amazing. Let's, Let's dive in. Let's start with your work. You've been doing amazing work in the community. So let's start from Anike. Anike, tell us, how's your work at Canadian Arab Women Association is related to gender justice? I know you're doing a lot of other work in gender justice as well, and you're welcome to talk about your other work as well. But if you can start with the Canadian Arab, uh, Arab Women Association, that would be great.
10: Yeah, so our work is really focused on Arab women and making sure that the needs of Arab women are met in the community. It is a voice like so many other marginalized communities that is often not really heard. Um, So it's definitely connecting Arab women to the resources and the supports they need in the community and then often language is such a barrier as we all know um, English, you might speak English you might, might not be comfortable though to speak in English about your specific issues so gender justice is really related to making sure that people can actually access the resources and learn about the options that we have in Canada, the choices that they can make and they might not be educated about so that is really the canadian arab women's association we really try to respond to the needs in the community if there is things that come up we try to respond to that with programs and services events whatever is needed to really make sure that all arab women have access to the resources and supports that they need in their life to really be you know equal partners in this society and this community as women but as arab women specifically so this is really what we're trying to do
2: that is so true. Access to information, access to resources, is just the first step. Without having that information and access to resources, really, what do you do? You're doing amazing work. Um, let's turn <laughs> to. The... Yeah, it's
10: ahead. a hard question. So let's go to Fadila. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <What
2: she's doing. laughs> Fadila, we trust you to answer this hard question. How is your work related with African Women's Alliance of Waterloo Region? Is related to gender justice. How is, this, how is this helping women in this area, individually and or making the system more open and more accessible for the women that, who you serve?
11: Thank you very much. Congratulations on your on your new show. And Only um, temporary. And welcome. And I'm so happy to see my friend. Here too, Anike, we go. We all go back, and Baziya, you've been our, you know, been a mentor to us, and we really appreciate that. And I'm humbled to be in the midst of, you know, you know, the, you know, strong women that I look up to too, as well. So my role uh, and uh, my work with the African Women's Alliance, and re- really the mission and the vision of the African Women's Alliance, is to help the African women. Like Anika said, you know, you know, India's their, in their journey of resettling in the new found in their new, you know, chosen land, and uh, we we know that as immigrants we have barriers, so many barriers, most especially the women, and um, in you know in getting. In trying to make a sense of you know the new place they have found themselves, so our work really focuses on advocacy, which you know uh, you know allows the women to know their legal rights, and also you know uh, we also focus most um, 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 most of the time on gender based violence, which you know for us as Africans we have two main barriers that we need to really you know, overcome and really deconstruct to know, to be able to fight. And that is the culture and the religion. These are two big barriers that actually hold the African uh, women behind. And in our work, we try to, you know, we come together, we, we, we call the women together to let us analyze how culture and, you know, religion holds back women, wherever they are. And especially, and then add in, in addition to these two you know giants we now have the legal you know the barriers you know uh, the systemic barriers and the structural barriers here in in uh, in Canada and that's what we try you know to do you know through our advocacy and our fight against uh, gender based violence
2: that is amazing fadila really amazing answer like you, you you called culture and religion and the system as three giants that women are against around the world, not just here in Waterloo Region. And that's so true. And that's why this work is so difficult. It's not easy. We're talking about really huge, huge, huge systems that we are against or institutions that we are against. Thank you for all of your work. So let me ask you a question that I generally like to ask in the end. How can people support your work? People in this community, Waterloo Region, how do you feel, how do you think we can support your work, and we can start from Fadila.
11: Thank you. Yeah, the support we need is first of all. You know, let's start from. You know, for me particularly, I would start. For particularly, I would like to start from my own community. I would like. I really appreciate the women to know the work, the great work that all the, especially the the organize the you know community organizations put into you know organizing programs. You know, many of, I see from my own personal experience within my community that this, this work are not appreciated. These various works are not appreciated. They, like, so what is the essence of fighting for people when they do not even see the value in what you're doing, in the fight you you, you are taking on, on their behalf? So I, when I leave, you know, then the next will be to the, you know, to the funders to really remove by barriers to the to you know to funding to make sure that the funding is not just for the big you know established you know well-established organizations that go back from you know 100 years you know what about the new they should give opportunities to the new organizations coming up to the grass the grassroots organizations and let let, let the funding you know be spread you know all you know all over and then let them stop so you're calling for more
2: equity in funding
11: Yes, yes, yes. And also for them to see that, you know, it's not about numbers, but about the lives that we positively impact. So when you're ex- expecting African women, women, Women's Alliance to actually, you know, give you that they saved, you know, a thousand women in two months versus, you know, YMCA, you know, the big giant, I it's not, it's not feasible. Uh-huh. But that doesn't make our work of lesser value than the YMCA. Or that doesn't make YMCA not, you know, uh, you know the best, you know, um, organization to give. But every organization needs to support. And yeah,
2: I, I I sometimes yeah. use this African proverb. Just like we need a village to raise a child, we need mm-hmm. a network of supports and a network of programs and services for those who are who can benefit from it, who are in need of this. So I hope funders are ca- are listening to your call for equitable funding here. Um, Anike, how can people here uh, in Waterloo region support the work of Canadian Arab Women Association?
10: I think Fadila mentioned some great things, but I want to add on, please spread the word that these organizations exist. And so often, like, It's the big organizations that get, you know, that might be stuck with clients and there's no referring happening. I think really as a community, we have to come together and we have to learn more about different resources and learn that there are different programs and there's different like the quality what Fadila is talking about, like YMCA might not be able to offer this, but another organization might be offered to that, really coming together. Don't duplicate programs, just trying to really add on to what is there. And as a community, just really reaching out, continue that outreach to smaller organizations or organizations that have a, Um, a, a smaller demographic that they're serving, but at the same time, give them a voice at that table when decisions are being made. Because these are voices that aren't really heard. And I think it is so important to not... Underestimate the work that organizations like Kawa and the African Women's Alliance are doing, and the impact we're making. And that is not an impact in numbers; that is an impact in lives and a quality of living. And I think just to really, you know, continue being aware, inviting them to spaces that are maybe not accessible to them, uh, and 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 money. It's really a lot has to do with money. That has been
2: a constant theme all across the conversations. Yeah. Right, you wish you can do things without money in the world. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
10: there's so much money that is needed for small things. (laughs) You know, we want to like equitable pay. Like, you cannot, you know, let people work for free. We everybody Uh needs to work, and this is the hard thing. Like, there's a lot of volunteers, but we cannot keep running organizations on volunteer basis only, and that is not fair. And that is something that really we need to. On this day, we talk about gender as justice. Pay is still, you know,
2: pay inexality is a work, big thing.
10: Yeah, social social work jobs are not paid as well. And and Kawa is really trying to offer a living wage. But again, like funding is limited. Like mm-hmm. yeah. very, very hard. Yeah. Especially yeah. now.
2: Right. <laughs> and also instability of these jobs. These jobs are project based, so contracts. Definitely, definitely. You also touched upon uh, another thing which is very important which is the representation on decision making tables the voices that needs to be heard in the spaces where they've never been heard before that is also another important piece very important yeah, piece very
12: important yeah, yeah very important
2: yeah okay so let's turn to turn our uh, turn our attention to international women's day how did you celebrate international women's day i hope you got you got celebrated yourself a lot on that day
11: well uh international women's day for 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 me i you know like well i didn't really do i think i i just uh, you know hung out with the women to really focus on self you know compassion because uh yes the whole the world is you know is a big bad place but then how do you see yourself how do you do? You value yourself to really, you know, be compassionate to yourself, to really go gentle on yourself. That is one thing, you know, because no matter how you know people celebrate you, if you don't feel, you know, that you need that, you know, compassion yourself, you would not be able to, you know, you know, you know, feel, you know, like fill the world with compassion, you know. And it's high time we started, you know, taking, you know, realizing that. We are just one person or we are just, you know, we are are humans with our limits. And, you know, and, you know, as such, we need to take things gently. We do our best and we do not see failures, you know, as, you know, we don't know. We don't see failures as failures, rather as challenges that, okay, I'm only human. I will put my best face forward. I'll put my best, um, you know, I'll put my, my best into what I'm doing. And if it happens, if it goes my way, uh, you know, all praises to God. If it doesn't, well, you know, it's a learning, you know, opportunity. That way, you you know, we we are compassionate with ourselves, and then we the real, the the you know the thing the essence the meaning of International Women's Day. You know,
2: that's great, Fadila. You're pointing out to a very important point. In our zeal to change the world. We can be, women generally are hard on themselves. We can be even harder on ourselves when we take on the responsibility of changing the world for better. So really remembering ourselves, making sure that we are compassionate with ourselves. Very, very important. Thank you for that reminder. Anike, in less than a minute, how did you celebrate or got celebrated on International Women's Day?
10: Not as elaborate as Padilla, but I wish I was there to, you know, the the self-compassion part. But I didn't really do a whole lot because we have a lot of things coming in this month as an organization. We're working on a lot of things to actually make sure that the voices of our women are heard. We have a survey coming out and those kind of So I was very busy with that bigger goal. But I think it's very important to realize, like, yes, there is that one day, but let's focus on the whole year. And let's be more compassionate to ourselves. And as women finally reach that equal status in society that is still a while away, I have to say. There's a lot of work to be done. And I trust with Fadila and Fauzia and all the other women that you had on today that it will get done. Just going to take a wow. lot of blood, sweat, and tears.
2: That's the day we all are looking forward to. <laughs> so listeners, it's time that we'll take a quick break. This is Krishna Today on City News 570. Hello, welcome back, listeners. Phone lines are up, open. Feel free to call 519 570 2545 570 5715 On your cell phone, star 570. Together with me in the studio, Fadila, from African Women's Alliance Waterloo Region and Anake from Canadian Arab Women Association. Canadian Arab Women Association. We'll continue our conversation. We'll make it a little bit personal now for Anake and Fadila. So let's start from Anake. Anake, what sort of barriers you have faced in your own career as 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 a woman, also as a woman? who was a newcomer and immigrant woman and uh, what sort of barriers you have faced and what has given you some success? How did you overcome some of those barriers?
10: So for me personally, I'm a white woman, so that that definitely takes away some of the barriers there. And I, I do wear hijab, so I'm visibly a Muslim, but I could take it off and then I'm just like an average white woman in the street. So that's definitely not a barrier there, but coming to Canada and really rethinking um, education not being recognized even though I'm from Europe so um, my my degree was not recognized as being such but what really has helped me is inspiring other women who have made it and really starting to follow um, the path of volunteering mainly participating in society has been a huge key to being who I am today as a Canadian, Dutch woman, um, really knowing the society, reaching out, doing the work, meeting a lot of people, networking, having great friends like Fadila and, and Pozia, that has really helped me.
2: Thank you, Anike. And Fadila, quickly to you. Answer in 40 seconds. We have a caller online. Hello. Hi, Paul. Thanks for calling in.
13: Yeah, hi there. I just I just wanted to make a comment about, you know, International Women's Day and, um, you know, being a guy, I find it kind I would like to see more women actually in the workforce in leadership positions, especially even in politics, because there's something unusual here. When you look at, you know, our prison system and things like that, you know, 95 percent are males in there. Uh, you look at some of the crimes committed, right? It's mostly males committing crimes. It's dictators in the world, right? Political leaders, dictators are males, right? So there's something different about, you know, a women's attitude or a women's personality. Maybe it's motherhood. I don't know. But I find that they're would be they more trustworthy, um, you know, and less prone to corruption than what I've seen. I mean, you look at some of the corrupt politicians, right? They're mostly males as well. And uh, you know, I don't know if that's been looked at. That's why the reason that is, but you know, from my perspective, yeah, more power to the ladies, and, and you know, in more le- in leadership positions.
2: Yeah, definitely. And our next next guest on the show are actually this is this is the work that they're trying to do, becoming be, be, uh, helping more women to be in those leadership positions. But to answer your questions, we can look at it from two different angles. Because of the system that we have lived in so far, so long, that we call patriarchal system, more male have been in in, in positions of dominance across the times, across cultures, everywhere. And that's why we don't really know if being male is the challenge in terms of being more prone to violence or being in the position of power. We don't know if this is the power that is corrupting Right? Like so I don't have an answer for that. I think I, I like what you're saying that we need to try the alternative a little bit and see what women brings to the table and and we'll see what uh, what what would the world look like when we have an equitable when actually we have a gender equal decision making tables all around the world, whether this is uh, these are our national assemblies or provincial assemblies or municipal councils, everywhere we'll see a more gender balance on those tables. We will see what the world would look like in that case.
13: That's yeah, a very interesting comment. But like I said, from my observation, I've seen more integrity from female leaders than I have. Well, from I
2: them. will take this as a credit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Let's turn to our guest here. And I see that the show time is almost, this segment is almost over. So I want to thank you once again for your time here. Um, this is for time for us to take uh, a news break. We will be back. Keep listening. Tune in again. Uh, actually, keep listening throughout the news, not just tune in for my segment. Thank you. Welcome back, listeners. This is 570 News Kitchener Today, and I'm your guest host, Fazia Mazhar. In the studio with me, and I have to tell you again and again that it's virtual. I have the pleasure of hosting Melissa Duro, President and CEO of Durell Communications, and Colleen James, who is the Principal Consultant and Founder at Devonify, Inc. They're here to talk to us about an amazing initiative that they're part of, Women's Municipal Campaign School. Of course, these are two fierce leaders in this community who are engaged in gender justice work, not only through the Women's Campaign School. There are a lot of other ways that they are fighting the fight and trying to make this world more gender just. I'm really, really privileged to have you here, both of you. And I want to tell you that We have heard this almost like a theme from our previous guest. Representation matters. Voices Mm -hmm. need to be on the tables where they have never been before. Our Mm -hmm. last caller to the show also talked about maybe having more women in decision-making roles will change the world for better, especially when it comes to violence. So let's hear from our guest Mm -hmm. about their work with the Municipal Campaign School first. So let me ask you the first question and any of you can start. How is your work with Municipal Campaign School is related to the gender justice, gender justice work?
12: <laughs> All right. Hi, everyone. And Fazia, thank you for uh, having us today. It is it's a pleasure to be here. So um, how is the Campaign School related to gender justice? Uh, you know, a, there is a need For more representation, more women's voices around the decision-making tables, the the tables that impact the community. And um, we need to shift the narratives that have been there. And uh, the work that the campaign school does really discusses, in my opinion, I'm just new to that table, but it really amplifies the women's perspective for what it is like to run for office and it is a it's a it's a different um, experience for women, uh, and in the 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 work that we're doing, we understand it's a different perspective for Black women, for racialized women to go through that process. And uh, I think the campaign school does an excellent job. It, it has been the last uh, last Sunday of just recognizing that, recognizing the importance of having not just diversity, but also the 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 um, perspectives and the lived experiences and, and creating space for that. I think the most important thing with this campaign school is really creating the space for that and um, um, being honest and authentic about having change, meaningful change, leading with empathy, um, and, and, and I'll stop there. Melissa, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I would just say this,
2: Colleen, you're actually talking about a change in the culture of leadership.
12: Absolutely. It's mm-hmm.
2: amazing. Absolutely. Melissa, we come to you. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit more about what are the objectives of on have been for the Women Municipal Campaign School and tell us about the success that you are really proud of. I kind of know that, but I want to hear from you.
9: Mm. Well, thank you, Fazia. And nice to see you, Colleen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also just want to applaud City News for actually devoting a day to talk to female leaders in our community Uh, You know, I opened up the paper and I was looking around on International Women's Day and there were very few media organizations that were actually doing things. So I applaud Sabini's for doing this. And Fatia, you're a great guest host. Okay, so here's my answer to you. Forty eight percent of people elected in Waterloo region were women. Every single one of them is white.
2: Mm -hmm.
9: So when we talk about. Let
2: us celebrate the success first
9: let's celebrate success right so right but we we will not succeed if we don't all do it together and you know one of the things i've really been working on and trying to learn more about and i think you know especially being a white woman i have to acknowledge the fact that i got a lot of work to unlearn and like lots of work to do but i'll say this that we will not be successful unless it's all women and you know, and people who identify as women elected around those tables, and, and so that's what I, I think. That is one of our clear goals and objectives this time is we got to that forty eight percent. But when we look around, you know, who is it benefiting? And I do believe there's a really big, uh, you know, for, for all. I think for all of us, women in this community, it, it's it's a success. But we're missing we're missing an important portion of our community, our sisterhood, and we need to focus on that. And I think we've been working really hard to try to encourage i mean it's to see it you can if you see it you can be it so we we were really encouraged to bring panelists on that were all different uh cultures and uh races and and so that you know at least it, whether you whether we said something on a panel that resonated with you or for our, for our attendees to follow up afterwards to say hey I like what you said. Talk to me more about it. So looking for those mentors, because I do think that that's a huge, I mean, politics is a tough business, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to scare women off. We need you at that table. So if you can find a mentor who's going to walk with you, hold your hand. You know, Fozzie, I know you've run a couple of times, right? we got to keep going at this. So, yeah. if you need help and you need somebody to walk with you, there we can that's I think one of the things we can do. You just rolled your eyes. that <laughs> is
2: amazing. Now you <laughs> have called for some work, Melissa. Get ready. Yeah. No, you got it, girl. I love Jordan. Thank you. I'll just put that Thank out there. You. Thank you. I just <laughs> wanted to ask this question. I have a question here around, like, you know, how does your work in gender justice is sort of like, you know, relate with the racial justice piece? You both have right. already talked about this and you have said it clearly that this is your goal. This is the goal of Municipal Campaign School this year, that in 2018 forty eight percent of uh, of uh, municipal councils that were elected in our region were women, and that is an amazing success and now you want to take it to the next step and make sure that there is diversity on those diversity of voices on those tables as well so if you any one of you can actually answer this question that women in general and and Melissa talked about how politics is What's the word that you used? Politics is is, uh, tough, right? It's it's a tough business. Probably not tougher than women, but it's tough. It's tough. Let's admit (laughs) it. So as women, we face a lot of barriers how like what do you see as sort of additional barriers that women who are diverse racialized women black women indigenous women or women identified identified folks trans women f- face when they enter or or they dream of entering uh, the political world
12: so there is listen there's a fear there's a fear when you know you're going to be potentially the only one around the table and some of the barriers you know from what I have heard in terms of the resistance, the resistance to see that change, right? The resistance to have that diversity for Black women. You know, before I was trying to, before our event last last Sunday, I was trying to find out the percentage of Black women that are in politics. We didn't even have that number. So mm-hmm. that's to say we know that they're, they exist, we exist, <laughs> but very few percentage. So again, some of the fears of just, you know, when, when black women in particular are put into positions of leadership and positions of of power, there is that notion that, you know, we're taking a a great risk. Uh, Society is very unforgiving when we make a mistake and that expecting us to fix something. Right. And knowing Mm -hmm. that we can push as much as we can, Mm -hmm. but there's a level of expectation there. And, um, You know, the level of
2: expectation is much higher,
12: much higher. Mm -hmm. And the fall is that much greater. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. recognizing that and um, knowing that uh, uh, we're held to a higher standard, there's scrutiny, there is racism, there's anti-Black racism, there is Islamophobia and walking into that and having to uh, the barriers to even even answer the door in Mm -hmm. some cases. Right. It is that Mm. it is. It's so um, it puts um, it
2: puts um, a lot of women in general. It puts women's safety at risk door to door. But when it comes to racialized women, we have seen that risk increased many, many, many folds. Correct. And
12: and also just having our voices heard when we're at those tables. I'll turn it over to Melissa. But that's the other thing. Right. Making sure we're heard when we're there.
2: So hang on there. We're going to come back to our panelists. But we have a caller waiting. So let's hear from our caller, Mark. Oh hi, Fazia. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. I, do I know um, this, Mark?
13: <laughs> yes, Mark. Um, I know you from the Mike Farwell show. I know you're on the Friday Four yeah. panel. Thank every you. Every Friday at eleven o'clock, and I've also listened to your segments with Mike, um, and I say some Brian a couple times too.
2: Thank you. And I
13: just want to say I, I I find you very interesting and. Um, I just want to thank you for bringing a lot of things to light that people kind of don't, uh, kind of brush under the carpet, and but it's all out there, and you're bringing it to light, Fazia. Uh, so just saying thank you.
2: You are very welcome, Mark, and such a kind remark, and thank you so much. You really warmed my heart um, with your kind remark. Thank you for listening, and thank you for calling in.
13: Thank you, and I hope to hear you again on 570.
2: Well, just I'm just hoping that I don't do a big mistake today. I'm just hoping that, <laughs> you know, I'm back. Let's see if I get fired today or I get to continue with a few more shows. Let's see. Thank you so much, Mark. Okay, let's uh, turn back to our panelists, and we have um, heard a lot of really things that they have shared from their heart. Let us just ask them a bit of personal question as women themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's start with Melissa. Melissa, you're very, very, uh, you're, you're a business person. You're, I wanted to say you're a business woman. But I'm like, why should I say business woman? You're a business person. Like that's mm-hmm. who you are. Um, what are the barriers that you have faced as a woman in your chosen field? And how, how was it possible for you to overcome some of those barriers? Maybe not all, but some. Just share some, mm-hmm. some, some, some of your tips for success.
9: Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, I would say predominantly in the business that I'm in is in tech. It's very male-dominated and uh, just nuanced within the tech space. I work in uh, pitch coaching. So I work with tech companies that are raising $500,000, $2 million. They're putting together. Maybe a lot of time. you're
2: thinking, I wish I was the business.
9: Yeah, Yeah, I know. I would
2: do that job because I was
9: like, can I pitch my own pitch? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Brilliant ideas. And I would say for the most part, as they're moving into this next round, Uh, it's predominantly male. And I would say, you know, I'm giving them advice on how to take their business plan and move it into a pitch that they can go to angels and venture capitalists to find. So it's a very, very small space. Uh, There are, I don't know any other women that are doing it. So everyone else who's doing this in Canada is a man. And most of them are older white men that are angel investors. So they've been successfully angel investing for many, many years. And then now they feel like they can now give people communications advice because they've watched so many pitches. So that's fine. That's where it is. So for me, a big challenge has been, you know, and I'm not necessarily young anymore, definitely in that mid-age range. Don't tell this to Um,
2: anyone.
9: (laughs) But, you know, people taking me seriously as a woman, as someone who, you know, and I think at the beginning, you know, I don't, I I appreciate you calling me a business person. You know, many people just saw me as a former journalist, uh, you know, someone they watched on TV, you know, pretty face. I did not know. Yes. Well, I, yeah, I from 2000, oh gosh, I date myself in 98 to twenty. Oh, 2010. Mm-hmm. I was a journalist oh. on television, so I think that that was a big thing in my world, and uh, and so you know the tips for that is um, you know and I I don't want to fall into sort of that feminism 2.0 where it's like you just work harder than every man, you prove yourself like that you know it's easy to that get into that. That is just so unfair, unfair to start with, right? Yeah. So you know, really, what I I tried to do, and you know, any kind of pushback I got, I've always listened. But what I've always said to not, I have an entirely female team as well. And I've said to them, you know, you can only talk to a brick wall for so long. So people are coming to me for my expertise and my advice. If they're not going to listen to me, then they're not my clients. So I just let them walk away or else I tell them that we're not, we're not the right fit together. And I've done that throughout my career because it's, I'm not going to waste my time or my money working on companies that don't respect me because I have breasts. Or you know because of my gender, so I just don't even do it anymore. So you know, Quazi, I don't know if that's necessarily a all tip, the power but to I you. Think-
2: I agree, right? If yeah. I'm not the person that you need on the table, go somewhere else. That's fine. That's right, right? Yeah.
9: yeah. And yeah. I spend a lot of time protecting my female team as well. I think that that's really important too, and giving them those tools uh, and and verbiage to be able to stand up for themselves in those kind of situations. Because we're still, you know, it's a regular occurrence to sort of have that kind of pushback. So that's where I would say at this point.
2: Let's hear Mm -hmm. from Colleen. Same question. You have about two minutes here.
12: Right. I'll summarize this. So, yes, I have an equity and inclusion consulting company. I started about six years ago. At the time, nobody wanted to hear about DEI, anti-racism. God forbid you say anti-racism. I remember those days. (laughs) You're right. Um, you know, but the barriers, Melissa touched on that, um, you know, not being respected in the space. There is resistance. Um, some of the barriers is especially dealing with primarily white facing organizations. When I come in there, expecting me to have the answer or expecting me to be perfect. Right. To the problems and, that you did not create. Right. Right. To the problems that I didn't create or we didn't create. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing when to walk away. And I think that's important because it's it's it, knowing when justice is not being served, you're not being valued and to step away. And a lot of the work that I do, especially with female uh, people, in, women identified that are in leadership roles, not being valued and coaching them through to be, to be like, it's okay if you need to step away to protect your peace. And I think that's something that as women, we like to, we're put in this savior role, okay to step away we need to protect our peace and um Mm. as a woman in business getting that respect and and i know melissa I, I look, a I look a lot younger than I am <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and coming with the experience, working in politics, working in sports, working in nonprofits and taking mm-hmm. all of that and, and, see, and, and making change and, and guiding the process. Right. So, yeah, so- it's not easy. And, you know, Colleen, you talked about, like, I, I started out as a
9: sportscaster. I mean, there were very few women who were sportscasting. Mm-hmm. I think there was like, 10 I, of I think us it's across still today. Country. Yeah. 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 And you know, journalism too, very uh, male dominated at the top. Politics, you know, like I don't know why, I just keep going into these fields. But you know, where you gotta, you know. But I do think of the same. I've always been drawn to communication spaces, and so that's just that's my strength. It's what I love to do. And I will say, you know, despite the conversation we're having today, I love. Every day that I do my job, I love my clients. I love my team. I love my community. So at the end of the day, you know, it's worth the little bumps and barriers to continue to break that glass ceiling and and, um, and make it better for the next generation coming up.
2: What a great conversation. Believe me, I can mm-hmm. feel the heat and the warmth in the studio here. I'm so glad that we are, hap- we, we are having this conversation. We do have to take a quick break now, a quick commercial break. We will be back. This is Krishna Today on City on City News 570. Welcome back, listeners. Phone lines are open. Feel free to call in 519-570-2545, 570 5715 on your cell phone, is star five seventy. This is your last chance to call in, say hi, and share your International Women's Day message with me. I am not sure if I'm coming back after this 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 show, so let's see. This is your last chance to call in say and say hello. Let's get back to our guest here, Colleen James and Melissa Dural. We have been talking about your great work with Municipal Campaign School, but also a little bit about your own experiences and your strategies and your advices and and sort of tips for other women. Um, let's just uh, talk a little bit about International Women's Day. How about you share your best memory of International Women's Day with our listeners? And with me as well.
9: Listeners and you. I, you know, the last two years, I've been working with uh, Women Communication Technology Waterloo Region, which is the board that I sit on. And we've been running um, International Women's Day events. And I have to say, I just, I just love being a part of them. Um, you know, the panel in particular—it was a full day. It was noon till five thirty on International Women's Day. So, uh, and I was lucky enough to MC the event. So I got to tune into everything, and I just loved it. You know, it's such a diverse panel of incredible women in our community. I think that's, you know, I couldn't say there's one memory for me, to be honest, Fazia. What I love about it is every every International Women's Day, I meet and learn about new incredible women in this community because it is a bit of a small circle, right? Like we do get a little bit bubbled into our kind of like boards and leadership circles and those kinds of things. And so when IWD all of a sudden is like, there's like you know, a hundred more women, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to meet her. Oh, I want to go for copyright. And I love that because I think for me, the best thing about IWD is figuring out how we can grow this community to make it stronger and safer for women. And so it's just like every IWD, my circle gets bigger and that makes me happy.
2: And definitely that feeling that we're not alone. And then, yeah. and also being able to see that there is a constant inflow of women leaders and, you know, new women and women identified folks are taking up this space, right? Like they're ready for Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. That is Um, such a, such a great feeling.
7: um,
12: Colleen, your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts. I always take the time to reflect uh, and listen as well, grow that network. But, you know, with the past two years, just thinking about women in general uh those who identify as women and the the Pressure the amount of work that we've had to do, and mm. you know, just just looking at some of the stats. Right, we've got eighteen point six percent of Black women who face the highest unemployment in comparison to other groups. Twenty percent for the South Asian women. And just looking about what we need to do going forward, and seeing all of the supportive messages online. And of course, I'm always yeah. looking at things for inequities, thinking about ways in which we still need to push the push the needle, the pay inequities. Right. I don't know if anyone's on mm. the Twitter bot. And, and those pay gaps that were coming out left, right, and center. Yes. How we need to support each other more. From an organizational perspective, with the organizations that I work with, I'm paying very close attention to, are you just posting something today? Because it's the politically right. correct thing to do, and you're being performative. How are you celebrating women, those who identify as women, 365 days a year? So it's it's a check-in point to reflect. And then I also say, okay, so what's going to happen the next between now and and the next iwd but uh it it is a time to reflect for me to listen to grow the network as melissa says and and take that time i actually take the day off i don't do anything and good for you okay (laughs) that
2: is amazing we have heard from others on the show as well this is the day to celebrate you to be more compassionate with you than ever um in those 364 days so this is great colleen Thank you once again, Melissa and Colleen, not only for your work that you have been doing for a very long time in this community, but also taking the time to be here with our listeners and with me on this show. Um, I would like to close this show by talking to our listeners a little bit. So we heard from just a very few fierce leaders in our community who dreamt of a gender-just world and then made it incumbent on themselves to to just pursue that dream and pursue that dream relentlessly and just not them but also thousands and thousands of women and women identified folks acro- around the world who are in who are pursuing this dream and we need to just and just remember that a gender just world is going to be beneficial for everyone, not just only for women and women identified folks. A gender just world is also going to be a racially just world. I believe in that.
12: Yeah.
2: And I want to say that we all have a role to play. So on this International Women's Day week, let us all talk to ourselves and ask, what are we going to do to break the bias today? Today? This week, every day of the year, as we have heard from many, that one day is just not enough. And I would like to make one call of action, if you like, and that is to support the work of these women leaders and the organizations as much as you can do. Thank you so much. This is the time for us to say goodbye, and you are going to hear the news, afternoon news.